sleep is not going to be perfect every night. The name of the game is that you kind of fine tune your set of tools and strategies that will get you to a better night's sleep. Hey everybody, Emily Abadi here. You are listening to another installment of Hurdle Moment from Hurdle, a wellness-focused podcast where I connect with everyone from your favorite athletes to top experts and industry CEOs about their highest highs, toughest moments, and everything in between. We all go through hurdles in life, and my goal through these discussions is to empower you to better navigate yours and move with intention so that you can stride toward your own big potential and, of course, have some fun along the way. For today's conversation, a long-requested episode, I am chatting about all things sleep with Dr. Rebecca Robbins. She is an instructor in medicine at Harvard Medical School and an associate scientist at the Brigham and Women's Hospital. She's also recently collaborated with Sinesta Hotels on a new package that includes various offerings across their properties this month and beyond for better sleep. Especially important, I can't stress this enough, as I'm on my fifth evening away from home while traveling. For today's episode, Dr. Robbins and I are talking about all things sleep, how to get better sleep, the variables that you can control to make your should I even better, increasing the quality. Plus, we're talking about quality versus quantity, what may be more important, and why better sleep is truly critical for your overall health and well-being. Trust me, this is an episode you don't want to miss out on. I'm so grateful for Dr. Robin's expertise in this area. I know that as soon as I started prioritizing my sleep, I feel that so many things about my overall health and wellness routine dramatically changed for the better. These days, my sleep sweet spot is over eight hours. I am, again, prioritizing it in so many ways at this point in time, and I could not be better for it. So to reiterate, this week's episode is going to help you do the same. To everyone I saw up in Boston over the past seven days, I'm so grateful for the opportunity to connect IRL. I am thankfully, as you are listening to this, headed back to Brooklyn and man, what a week it was. Make sure you're following along with Hurdle over on social media. It's at Hurdle Podcast. I am over at Emily Abadi. And with that, let's get to it. Let's get to hurdling. Today, I am sitting down with Dr. Rebecca Robbins. She's an instructor in medicine at Harvard Medical School and also an associate scientist at the Brigham and Women's Hospital. How are you doing today? Hi, it's great to see you. Doing well. How are you? I'm so good. Honestly, it's been a minute since I've had someone onto the show to talk about sleep. And as we know, sleep literally impacts absolutely everything we do. So I'm a little giddy about the opportunity to sit down with you today. <laughs> it's my pleasure to be here. Thank you for inviting me. 
Now I've got to ask, like as someone who specializes in sleep, do you feel any more or less frustrated when you don't get good sleep? That's a great question. I think one of the key things about sleep is that it's not going to be perfect every night. I think that's a hard concept for a lot of us to come to grips with because, you know, especially if you're a little bit type A or a perfectionist in nature, you seek perfection in every aspect of your life. And then I think, you know, you have a really rich community and following of people that are really health conscious and, you know, fitness conscious. And, and sleep is a little bit of a different health behavior. If you think about exercise, you have a, a exercise routine, you have the right clothes, you have the gym, or you're planning to run outside. And if you have motivation, you can, barring disability, barring, you know, major barriers, you can go out and do the exercise. Uh, But when it comes to sleep, what's so interesting is often we can set ourselves up for success. We can have all the gear. We can, you know, go crawl into the covers around our bedtime, but then suddenly your mind is just going a million miles a minute. Because the truth is sleep is in many ways out of our control. We really set ourselves up for success, but it's a consequence of, you know, sleep is really intimately tied to everything that happens in our daily lives. And our daily lives are more stressful than ever. There's a lot going on in the world around us. And it's absolutely normal and fine for sometimes the stressful events in our lives, whether that's professional things or personal things or the world events to kind of limit our ability to either fall asleep in a reasonable amount of time or maybe introduce a risk of maybe waking up and struggling a little bit to fall back asleep. The good news is there are so many behavioral strategies that when those issues rear their ugly head, you can just, you know, double down on to increase again, your chance at a good night's rest. Look at you dancing around the question. Here I am asking you how it feels for you if you don't get a good night's rest. <laughs> All right, well, Emily, let me tell you, last night I was working too late. I, you know, was an up an hour past my bedtime. Um, I'm a scientist. And I love what I do. And I can't help but sometimes start analyzing a data set and then time flies. And I'm doing all the worst things, right? I'm in front of my computer. I'm using my brain. There's a screen. And of course, I crawl into the covers an hour past my bedtime, toss and turn a little bit because small changes to our sleep can, again, increase our risk of difficulties because sleep is all about routine. So here I am as a sleep scientist throwing, you know, myself completely out of whack. And did I feel great this morning? No. You know, I I got up and I I checked my sleep tracker and I got about seven hours of sleep, but I'm someone that needs closer to eight. So I was definitely struggling today. Um, But again, it's all about awareness and then um, trying to get back on on track. I've got to ask you what sleep tracker you're using. Um, I'm wearing an aura ring um, right now. The, there are There's a huge interest in sleep tracking, which is really exciting to see. Um, and, and we think it can be really part of a healthy you know, sleep routine. But you know, if sleep trackers ever stress you out, there are some people that um, you know, get the data and that's stressful to them. And so if that's ever the case, you can always, always take a break. Yeah, I wrote an article, uh, I think it was last year, about what they call to be the nocebo effect for GQ and how a lot of people actually feel like these wearables really stress them out. Now, I'm of the camp, you're wearing an aura ring right now, I'm wearing a whoop. For me, I feel as though this wearable makes me more cognizant of the good for me habits and is kind of like a big brother that enforces them. But it's really understandable that some people may see something like that, may see all this data, maybe a little bit more than they feel as though they need. And it just feels super overwhelming. 
Totally, totally. But like to your point, you know, it's just, it's a great input. If it's useful to you, use it, run with it. Um, and hopefully it could motivate some, um, it's really all about the reflection when you wake up and maybe see a bad number on your tracker. Um, so the goal is to kind of see that, like, oh, what did I do yesterday? And think of yourself as this little exper mini experiment out of one. What did I do yesterday that might have hindered my sleep last night? And then trying to uh, you know, tweak uh, things for the next night. Yeah. As I sit here having a sip of Diet Coke and then immediately thinking about the caffeine intake and when I should stop and taking caffeine, all of these things, as you said, can be really, uh, can definitely impact our sleep. Now let's start first and foremost. I know you talked about a lot of the things that we can do for better sleep and trust me, we will get there, but how much sleep does someone actually need? The recommendation for adults is somewhere between seven and nine hours of sleep. Now, we all differ along that spectrum. I mentioned I'm personally around the eight hours, um, eight hour mark. Some people do really well on seven and some people truly need closer to nine. So thinking about where trying to find wherever you are in that spectrum, um, some of us are, you know, the lucky ones that are, you know, meeting our sleep need and doing all the things right. But if you're, um, you're sensing that you're a little bit far from your mark and one of the good reasons or the good ways to figure out if you are away from where you want to be is how do you feel you know, first when you wake up do you feel like you need more sleep and you want to hit the snooze bar the second question is how do you feel in the afternoon do you feel like you're dragging those could be two signs that you might do well with a little bit more sleep in your bank account in a kind of on a day-to-day -day basis and the best way to start that change is to tonight, add 15 minutes to your overall sleep routine. Simply just start the process to power down about 15 minutes earlier than typically, than you typically do. So if you generally start to fall asleep around 11 o'clock, tonight just try that process around 11 o'clock maybe and build in lots of time and buffer to kind of ease yourself into sleep and keep moving your bed, your your bedtime about 15 minutes earlier and then just start to notice how you feel in the afternoon do you feel well rested ready to you know take on the day and those two key points when you wake up and then in the afternoon and then if you do feel like you can power through and um you know maybe not rely on caffeine then you could have hit your your mark and do your best to keep that night in and night out I really appreciate that suggestion of scooting the bedtime 15 minutes. It feels like a smart goal, right? In that you're creating some sort of a shift without saying, okay, I need to make a drastic change. You may know that you ultimately want to get to bed about an hour or an hour and a half earlier than you have been. However, these 15 minute increments seem a lot more doable and hence will help you stick with this new routine. Definitely small, small goals because then it just makes, you know, breaks down the, the change to be more palatable. So I totally agree. For someone who then knows that they're not getting enough sleep, what's actually happening to the body when you're not getting enough sleep? Well, a, a couple things. Um, when we're not meeting our sleep need, um, and duration is one part of a healthy sleep routine, just getting enough sleep. Um, there could be other things going going wrong also, you know, waking up and not feeling restored or having kind of mistimed sleep if you're keeping a different uh, sleep schedule from one day to the next. All those things can kind of culminate, unfortunately, in um, adverse health outcomes. And in a, thinking of kind of the impacts in a couple buckets, the first is we just could probably all agree that we feel a little bit groggy. We suffer from what we call 
call brain fog. We're less productive. We um, are less creative, um, creative problem solvers. We're, we're less likely to come up with, you know, eureka type ideas and thoughts, at, you know, at work, um, at home, etc. Now, the next bucket is in kind of the mental health category. So, when we're not getting enough sleep or falling short of our kind of healthy sleep goals, we we wake up and we're, we're less able to do something called perspective taking, where we can maybe take stressful events and really put them into context and not have them impact us as much. And so without that ability, we're more prone to negative affect and then feelings of depression and anxiety that then can start to snowball and really become um, concerning actual um, kind of mental health concerns in the longer term. The next bucket is our heart health. During sleep, our, our heart rate our blood pressure drops to its lowest point in the typical 24-hour day. And that dipping at night is vitally important for us to wake up. It allows us to maintain a healthy blood pressure. So if we're not getting enough sleep and we're just reducing the time we're spending sleeping, we're also reducing that time that we're able to go into that amazing dipping of our blood pressure. And so again, without that, we wake up and we're at greater risk for high blood pressure and then ultimately heart uh, health concerns. Now, the other really interesting and exciting area of sleep research is starting to uncover brain health benefits. Not only that feeling of brain fog in the shorter term that we talked about, but believe it or not, our sleep night in and night out might actually, studies are starting to uncover, allow us to maintain brain health tomorrow and well into the future. Research has shown that during sleep, there's an increased removal of dangerous neurotoxins in the brain. And that happens at an accelerated rate when we're sleeping compared to when we're awake. And so our sleep, we believe, plays this night-by-night role in allowing our brain to, to cleanse itself of some of these toxic particles that, if allowed to accumulate, can result in Alzheimer's disease and dementia in the longer term. So there um, are short-term, long-term consequences. Um, But it is important to note that, again, sleep is not going to be perfect every night. The name of the game is that you kind of fine-tune your set of tools and strategies that will get you to a better night's sleep. Right. And I know that I had someone on the show not super long ago and they talked about uh, this glymphatic system, right? Mm -hmm. So the importance of sleep to help the body do what it wants to do, clear out that extra waste. It's kind of like a computer, you know, every so often you've got to back up your hard drive and that way your computer is going to just function better. It kind of cleans things up. So that's what's happening when we're getting that adequate sleep. Exactly. And glymphatic is a term, and I'm, um, yes, that's the technical um, term for this area of, of the research. And what that's referring to is we have the lymphatic system in our body comprised of tissue and vessel that remove toxic particles, but there are no lymphatic tissue or vessel in the brain. And so that led us for many years to wonder how the brain removes these toxic particles. So what's happening in the brain is the glial cells are expanding over the course of our sleep at a greater rate than during wakefulness. And so that expansion of the glial cells allows for this accelerated removal of toxic particles. So glial cells expanding, lymphatic system-like activity um, is why we call refer to that area of the literature as the glymphatic system um, and hypothesis about sleep. So what would you then say are some of the biggest warning signs of sleep deprivation? The biggest signs are 
probably how you feel. I think we sometimes forget that, you know, it's kind of an old school thing, but really how you feel in the morning after you wake up and in the afternoon. So if you're really dragging, reaching for caffeine, um, you know, fighting to stay alert and God forbid, not behind the wheel of a car, because of course that's where the stakes are really high. Um, so lower alertness in the shorter term, but then in the longer term, it's the mental health concerns that we talked about, the heart health concerns. So your, your physical health, um, is suffers and then your brain health also is what our research is starting to show so the stakes are are pretty high when you think about it and oftentimes those that experience sleep deprivation like myself maybe on the go a lot maybe traveling a lot maybe navigating the effects of jet lag do you have anything to offer to those individuals who are constantly hopping time zones to kind of give themselves an upper hand on a sometimes out of their control situation Great question. Now, when it comes to jet lag, unfortunately, there is no cure. It refers to our, our, abil- our ability with, you know, amazing um, travel breakthroughs and technology, you know, ability to get on a plane and go across multiple time zones. But our internal rhythms lag behind is where we get this term. So, um, so essentially, in, in the case of jet lag, there is no silver bullet. Our sleep is in part governed by our circadian rhythm, our internal biological clock, and that system does not move on a dime. And so really in a perfect world, we'd be taking a week, two weeks to adjust to our new time zone to a point where we feel comfortable and um, able to to operate in that environment. Um, I, I think that my answer to the question, and it's such a good one um, and impacts so many people is kind of twofold. The first is how long is your trip? If you're going for two or three days, then it probably makes the most sense for your internal, you know, biological clock and your sleep health to probably just rip off the band-aid, get to your destination, try to schedule your meetings and your obligations in your new time zone in a way that you can kind of get by on your old time zone. And what you might do is keep a kind of an analog watch on your wrist. And then you can have a sense of when, what time it is in your biological clock. And that's of course going to be different than the time on the wall at your new destination. So trying to kind of still live within your old time zone, waking and falling, you know, waking and sleeping in generally that um, within those general parameters. But of course, that can be challenging for a lot of us. Say you're flying to Europe and you have an early morning meeting. Of course, that's going to be very challenging because that'll be five or six hours before or more um, your, you know, your habitual um, wake time. So in that case, you really want to work with a couple things. Number one, natural blue light. Get outside in the morning is the most important thing. Uh, Helping yourself kind of adjust to this new time zone. If you can work out coupling that with nice um, blue light exposure can be really a home run to help us get some energy and start to somewhat adjust um, quite rapidly. The other is going to be making up for lost sleep strategically. Try to uh, make use of 20-minute naps that can give you a tiny bit of you know energy, about an hour or two. If you're really sleep deprived, a power nap will kind of give you that tiny bit of a boost and really kind of help you get through. But if you do have time for a little bit more of like a siesta, a 90 minute nap would be terrific if you're really exhausted. Um, And then other tips and strategies are just as much light as you can during the course of the day. And when you can couple that with exercise, wonderful. And then be mindful about what you're eating and drinking and when you're eating and drinking in your new time zone. Another suggestion can be to seek out hotels that clearly make your 
rest a priority. So that could include guestrooms that are designed in accordance to the science of our sleep or hotels that provide earplugs and eye masks that can be a lifeline for travelers from, uh, from other time zones. Yeah. And can I tell you that I purposefully seek out reviews of travelers who talk about things like, oh, the curtains were great, or I felt like the room was very quiet, or the bed was really comfortable, or et cetera, et cetera, because I know that sleep is a priority for me. And so it doesn't surprise me that we're hearing a lot more travelers these days look out specific hotel brands who are prioritizing that aspect of their overall stay. I love that, Emily. That's just terrific because, of course, if you're not sleeping well when you're traveling, your trip is going to suffer. Whether you're there for business or leisure, you'll wake up groggy and not be able to you know, retain all of those amazing memories and really enjoy your trip to the fullest. I know at the top of this, you said that there are a slew of tips that we can offer the hurdlers when it comes to getting a better night's sleep, keeping in mind here, of course, quality over quantity, perhaps. So where do we even begin, Dr. Robbins? So we've talked a lot about sleep duration, and that is just one piece of the puzzle. Yes, we do ideally want to be in that seven to nine hour range. So if you're far from that range, do think about ways to add a little bit more sleep to your daily routine, maybe by pulling your bedtime about 15 minutes earlier, and then another 15 minutes and try that for a couple days, adding 30, 40 minutes to your sleep and just notice how you feel in the morning when you wake up and in the afternoon. Now, just as important as duration is the timing of our sleep and consistent sleep schedules are absolutely vital. That gives our brains really valuable input on when it should be tired and when should we should be awake. And that allows the secretion of hormones that support those two states. And so keeping our sleep times ideally the same and not varying much more than one hour. So if you typically fall asleep at 11, then keep in mind that you can push it to 12 if you're out late with friends one night, but do try to be diligent and get back into bed and back on your routine as fast as possible. One of the biggest myths is that sleeping in is a good part of a sleep routine. We, I feel like as a society kind of look at sleeping in as this luxurious thing. And so many people will say, I'm doing so well. You know, I, I, I sleep in on Saturdays. Aren't, isn't that great? And I'm like, that A for effort, but we are so, so close. Uh, sleeping in is, is, unfortunately, it can kind of shift our internal rhythms. And if you're pushing your rising time out an hour, two hours consistently on the weekends, what's going to happen is the next night rolls around and your, your brain and your body think, oh, but we slept in for two or three hours and they're going to be fighting you because your internal biological clock has just gotten cues that it's supposed to change to a new time zone. So we refer to this as social jet lag, where you actually self-impose those painful jet lag-like symptoms without leaving your time zone. So the way we combat this is set an alarm, do your very best to get up at your habitual wake time on the weekends. Uh, so keeping those sleep times consistent uh, Monday through Monday, ideally. Another critical part of a healthy sleep routine is our bedroom. You really want to look in, you know, walk into your bedroom and feel instantly relaxed. So if there's anything that's stressful in your bedroom environment, take that out of the bedroom. You know, walk in tonight and really ask yourself, you know, what in here is limiting my ability 
to feel at peace, to rest and get sleep. And it sometimes are the, the silliest little things. It's a tiny little, you know, light on a cable box or a charger. And all you have to do is put a little piece of painter's tape or cover those little lights. Um, make sure your curtains close. Make sure you have a mattress that will support your sleep health. Your pillows are cozy and supportive. Um, all those good things. Lastly, what we do over the course of the day really matters for our sleep at night. And so that's kind of a big category. But within that, you really want to think actually about sleep starting, believe it or not, really when we wake up. So resisting the snooze bar, getting out of bed and starting your day, getting some natural blue light exposure wherever possible. If that's, if you live in uh, New York City or Los Angeles, that means just getting outside, walking your dog, or maybe adding, um, I tell all, all of my uh, friends in New York, just add one more subway stop. Instead of getting on at the, the closest stop, just add one more in the morning to get a little bit more outside natural light exposure. And then other things that can help us over the course of the day are being mindful of nutrition. There's an old uh, saying from the nutrition literature, which is a breakfast of kings, a lunch of princes, and a dinner of paupers. And basically, that means that you're consuming your calories and your nutrition kind of in a a way that makes sense for your consumption of those, your kind of use of the energy, right? You're, of course, awake and doing things. So uh, then kind of titrating and keeping dinner one of the lighter meals of the day. And that, it turns out, is good for our waistline. It's also good for our sleep. Um, so keep that in mind if that works, of course, with your nutrition plan. Uh, but then be mindful of stimulants. So these are things that would rob us of a good night's sleep. And that could include caffeine. Caffeine is a drug and it has a half-life. So it will stay and linger in your body if you have a, um, say, like a, a small or a medium from any uh, of the you know chains, you name them. They're all uh, going to be about 200 or maybe a little bit more uh, milligrams of caffeine and that might linger in your body for six or up to nine hours of um of time so keep that in mind if you're um you know telling me you're stopping your caffeine at two or three o'clock just be mindful that that could be lingering in your system come nine or ten o'clock believe it but believe it or not but basically if this isn't if your kind of sleep habits aren't broken of course you know and you're having a cup or two of caffeine and you're mindful about the times and when you're um you're stopping your consumption of course, feel free to continue. These are all things to keep in mind uh, for when issues rear their ugly head. And now lastly, over the course of the day and before sleep, managing our stress. Everything around us could potentially be a stressor, but it's our reaction and our response to all of those stimuli and events that allows those events to become stimuli um, that you know impact us physiologically in terms of uh, you know, really feeling um, the, the stressors. So uh, mindfulness, exercise, relaxation techniques are all really wonderful ways to start to manage your stress over the course of the day and can be a wonderful part of your bedtime routine because we really want to think of the time before bed as really a vital part of sleep itself. So building in time to relax and unwind and maybe filling that with things, you know, ideally you're off screens, you're filling that time with things that you love. So uh, maybe thinking about one good thing that happened in your day, taking a warm bath and then doing a meditation exercise. Could all yeah. be part of a healthy wind down routine. 
And it's so funny, right? Because so often we are inundated with the aspects of stellar morning routines, but much less frequently are we speaking about an adequate wind down routine. So enforcing that can be really helpful, as you're saying here, to get that really good shut eye. Now, two other tabs I have open from what you just said, uh, the first of which caffeine. We hear it all the time. Someone may say, you know what, I can drink a cup of coffee and go right to bed and it feels like it doesn't affect me. What do you say to that person? I'm jealous. Because <laughs> we do, there is kind of different g- genetic uh, susceptibility to caffeine. So some people can truly be fine. Uh, but I, I also would love to, you know, put a, a sleep tracker on them and see how their sleep really was. Because um, sometimes people can feel fine, but maybe their sleep is a little bit disrupted. So um, it, there are different, um, we all vary in our, um, con, you know, in our ability to consume caffeine and, and, you know, be, we're all bottom line differentially impacted by it. So some people, maybe it'll linger in your system for a couple hours, others, maybe six or up to nine. Um, the name of the game is just being mindful of where you are and its impacts on you personally. And you'll of course be the best judge of that. So if you tell me, you know, I have a cup of coffee at three, four o'clock in the afternoon, but then you have a racing mind and you feel like your heart is racing when you're trying to power down, caffeine could be one thing that you look to trying to remove. Okay. And then the other thing that you touched on was the concept of the snooze button. Some people listening to this are BFFs with their (laughs) snooze button. Why is the snooze, big statement here, bad for your health? So some of the best parts of sleep, rapid eye movement sleep, uh, really predominate. And uh, the second half of our night is rich with this vital stage of sleep. If you're not getting enough sleep, you likely will be in the middle of one of these vital REM cycles when you're hitting the snooze bar, if you're kind of crunched in your sleep um, sleep time. So if you're hitting the snooze bar, you're interrupting some of those really rich stages of sleep. And, but then by interrupting them, you might get a few more minutes of sleep if you hit the snooze bar and you have those, you know, nine seemingly precious moments. Um, and some people will say, you know, I feel like I'm more aware of that sleep. You know, it feels better. Um, but truly, we want to allow our brain to just keep doing its thing until the last possible moment. Actually, in a perfect world, if we were all well rested, we, of course, wouldn't need the snooze bar. So we need the snooze bar because we're not getting enough sleep. So the, what you want to do is try to resist that temptation. Um, I was talking about this with someone recently. The best strategy is to put your phone on the other side of the room. Then it reduces your risk of, you know, middle of the night insomnia, waking up and then thinking, oh, might as well check my text messages. And so if it's on the other side of the room, you'll be less likely to do that. But then your alarm will go off in the morning and you have to get out of bed to go turn it off. And then hopefully that's enough of, you know, a a jarring change from your bedroom environment that you can um, carry that into your day. Yeah, I forget when I had a conversation with another sleep scientist, but they uh, convinced me to stop using my iPhone for most of my alarms. So now Alexa is my alarm and I put my phone to quote unquote bed on a current wireless charger that isn't next to my bed, right? So for me, it has been really beneficial because there are going to be those evenings to your point where I wake up, it's two or three, I'm an early to bed person. I've already been sleeping for, I don't know, five or six hours at this point. And I'm like, oh, instinctually, something must have happened while I've been asleep. Maybe I took my phone. That is the last thing I want to do at that time because that's just going to keep me awake for longer. So all these tips that you're offering up here, so much helpful stuff when it comes to not only increasing the amount of sleep that you're getting, but also super important, the quality of that sleep. 
Dr. Robbins, is there anything else that we want to touch on before I let you go today when it comes to us getting better shut eye? Um, no, I think we've, we've covered a lot. Your questions were, were excellent, Emily. Thank you so much for having me. Oh my God. I'm so glad that we were able to make this happen today. For those that may want to learn more from you, that may want to follow along with you, give the hurdlers your information so we can try to keep up. My uh, Instagram handle is Dr. Rebecca Robbins, and I'm also on Twitter, and that is Rebecca S. Robbins. I love it. I'm over at Hurdle Podcast and at Emily Abadi. Another hurdle conquered. Catch you guys next time. <laughs> 